there's there's like a dad he's trying to show off this trophy and there's no trophy on the stand it's like this is the trophy that I got or that trophy I would have got if I'd done the thing you know if I'd participated in the competition so it's like this is the website that we wrote using the messaging strategy like there's no website it's like if we actually had a messaging strategy it's like this is what we wrote we couldn't write anything without the messaging strategy I think it's just it's so hard. And again, having been a junior writer in the past and being tasked with writing a website without having a messaging strategy in place, I just know how difficult it is. You're just clutching at straws because everyone has a different opinion on what should be said and where there's no clear direction. Errol wants the same ideas to be on the page and then the page just turns into this mutated kind of monster and no one understands who you are or what you do because it's just all over the place. <laughs> Hello, bonjour, ni hao, comestas. Welcome to Champagne Strategy, a red pill business podcast which reveals the secrets behind world-class growth strategy, garnished with a sprinkling of tech and champagne. We interview experts within the revenue engine of organizations who have bridged this gap between planning, execution, and measurement. And these people will have battle scars to show, skin in the game, and money in play. There's zero commercial agenda here, so heeding their wisdom is is priceless. Listen to this episode if you dare, but you've been warned, there's no going back. Now we're going to cover probably our second last area of strategy, which forms these nine areas that I talk about all the time. Today we're talking with an anthropologist turned writer, copywriter, and messaging strategist. Messaging strategy is often the thing that applies to and connects your product with your market and then how it's repurposed for channels, but the messaging strategy stays the same. Something that's frequently overlooked and ties in very closely to product strategy, especially this concept of product market fit or PLG. So message market fit is often the secret to product market fit that many people overlook. It's often the thing that is missed when people talk about product-led growth. So in today's episode, we compare it to copywriting, strategic narrative, and the brand story, because often these terms get mixed up. And at the end, we talk about JetGPT and the AI text-based systems, what they can do and what they can't replace. And for the first time, she reveals in detail her messaging strategy process. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Eden Badani. Welcome to the show, Eden. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So we're not drinking champagne. <laughs> Sorry no. to disappoint anybody, but it's it's morning for you. And it's an afternoon for me on a Monday. So we have another beverage, which has a really interesting history. Coffee. I used to roast coffee, actually. So uh, I know quite a bit about it. But over to you. What's your affiliation with coffee? Just for a general pick me up in the morning. I'm probably from someone who's, who's used to roasting coffee. It's um, it's going to find this abhorrent that I drink instant. So if I drink anything stronger than that, it puts my head in the spin. So <laughs> I, I know I'm the biggest first confession <laughs> <laughs> to start off for the day but yeah and I'm not ashamed of the fact that I drink instant but it's just you know I have a quite a, I have quite a few friends that are, that are like how can you drink yeah. instant well um so. I uh, well I used to go crazy espresso right and then pour overs and I've got my little pepper mill so it's like a little handheld probably hear it. it's like a like a giant pepper mill with a ceramic burr and i use that to grind better quality beans and i just shove it in a french press and that's what i do so i'm pretty basic because i drink black anyway over to you can you give us a quick little summary about your career to date and what you're doing right now you know my name's adam badani i'm a conversion copywriter and messaging strategist but i never thought i'd ever get into anything remotely related to marketing because i come from an anthropology background so i thought marketing was the antithesis of everything that we were learning and studying in anthropology about 
empathy and about learning to, you know, learning to appreciate people and see the world from their perspective. But when you look at it at the end of the day, good marketing is all about good communication. And that starts with understanding who you're talking to and what their perspective is of the world. So if you can understand that, then you can communicate to them and you can share with them and you can teach them and educate them about this amazing product that you have, but in a way that's authentic and actually relevant to them. So not the direct response pressing all these emotional hot buttons to try and get people riled up and in some whipped into a psychological frenzy to make them want to buy it, but actually saying, well, we have a great product. We know you have a need for a product. You take the lead, let the customer take the lead, really try to get on that deep level to understanding them and taking things from their point of view rather than trying to force something on the audience. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that I think people make who haven't studied marketing before is just that that switch of perspective, which you just talked about, which is, it seems so simple, but it's something everybody forgets. It's like, it's not about you and your product. It's about them and what they want. And if you fit into that sphere of influence or not, and so many bad decisions are made by not understanding that very, very simple fact. And I suppose that bleeds into copywriting, which is a lot of what you do as well at the more tactical level, correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. So copywriting, again, it's about messaging strategy and copywriting. It's about so figuring out what we need to say based on what the customer wants to know and what they need to know as well. So it's a, it's balancing, balancing between what the company needs to say from, you know, from a business perspective, strategy perspective, differentiation perspective, you know, from, from all, you know, for all of the different reasons that we have versus as well, what the customer actually needs to hear or wants to hear or what they want to know about the product. Because what we want to, what my company could say about the product and what the customer actually wants to hear about the product, there's a huge gap between them. Like, you know, the company wants to say this much and the customer like, give it, give me this much and then I'll decide whether I want to learn more or not. What is messaging strategy versus copywriting? There's other words like strategic narrative, all this kind of thing. Like if you had to define what messaging strategy is versus mm-hmm. everything else, over to you, what would it be? So the messaging strategy is understanding what you need to say. So what is the, what are those things that we need to say? The copywriting is how it's expressed. Now that how can change across because you have a different tone of voice for the website copy, a different tone of voice for social media channels, you know, different tone of voice for, you know, all of the different applications. You can even have different salespeople. Each of them have a slightly different pitch to each other. But at the same time, what are those key things, those key three to five points what are those key messages that they, everyone is getting across, even if they put their own little spin on it, even if it gets, you know, changed and mixed up between the different channels, what are those key messages that we're looking to communicate? And that's the core of what defining that messaging strategy is. Okay. So it's more about the things that don't change throughout all the organization and, and the communication channels and tone changes that come with those channels. It's kind of like what, what stays the same almost. Yeah, exactly. So it's you, it's the it's the constant. So it's the posi- you know, it's the positioning and it's that business strategy that's codified, okay, what we need to say that the customers actually want to hear. And so it's getting keeping that focus on what the customers need to hear. So then again, the marketing materials are in alignment, sales are in alignment, customer success are in alignment. Everyone's in alignment with what what we need to be communicating at any customer touch point. I hear this sort of getting sort of thrown around the traps a lot around, oh, we need to tell our brand story. This is There's a, like a strategic narrative that really is at the top of that brand piece that then filters down to everything else. What would you say to that? Like, is there a hierarchy here where everything fits into with all these terms? Because everyone gets confused about exactly what these terms mean. There's a difference between a brand story and a strategic narrative. A strategic narrative, it's usually for internal purposes. And it is kind of that description. It's that explanation of what's happening in the world and how we fit into it. 
and then how we help our customers win or how the world is changed or how the world is a better place because we're in it. So it's really, it's that high level articulation of, again, what's the position in the market and how we fit into it as well. Brand story is something that can involve how the brand was formed, where it came from, what the founders were doing beforehand. So a brand story can be, or it can be more just playing on the emotions, touching on, it's usually very heavily focused on the emotions. Or it's, a, again, it's more something what you'd find on an about us page of a website rather than in a strategic narrative doc. So there is a difference between the two. And again, a strategic narrative, first and foremost, it's internal. So it's for internal alignment through C-suite. Uh, through different teams, uh, you know, through different departments within the company. At the same time, it's great. It's always something that's good to share with investors. It's, it's good to share with when you're onboarding new employees because it helps align them with the company's vision and the company's mission. So a strategic narrative, it's tied to company's vision and mission and unique positioning, whereas brand story, it's more an expression of how the brand came to be or the backstory of the brand. Again, that's how I see it. And then how where it is today or what's the vision for the future so it's it's a little bit more soft of a softer very much of a softer approach both of them use principles of storytelling again strategic narrative it has to read really well you know for people to be able to understand has to be, the, the ideas and the strategy within it have to be expressed uh, very clearly and in a coherent cohesive manner in a logical manner but the brand story you have a lot more flexibility again because i think the brand story is part of one of the expressions of the of the strategic narrative. Okay, this makes sense to me. To some people that would say, oh, all this copywriting or strategic messaging is is all really tactical, like, don't worry about it. Um, you don't have to do that. Just, you know, sell your product. What would you say to that? Is it strategic or is it tactical? And how do we tell the difference between when we're doing one or the other? So the messaging and the strategic narrative, the vision, mission, all of that is is very strategic. And the copywriting is then how it's expressed. So it's copywriting is very tactical. It's so what's it's a, what appears on your website, what appears on your landing pages, what appears in your emails, what appears in your ads, or what appears in the customer-facing marketing assets. Sure, your vision and mission might make it from your core messaging, from your messaging strategy onto your website at some point on the you know the company about our founders page, something like that. But it's not the main focus of what goes on the website. For example, you don't go to a homepage of a website and you get hit with three paragraphs talking about the company's positioning in, in terms of the wider, you know, the wider global landscape. Um, you you might find some of that bits and pieces <laughs> on other pages of the website. But again, um, the copywriting, again, is the tactical expression of the strategy of the messaging. Sure. So what happens then if we don't invest in that sort of higher order messaging strategy? What are the sort of symptoms that happen? Like if we just start writing off the top of our heads or, you know, we hire a writer, but they don't really know that sort of top level piece. What what happens and where does it go wrong? Usually where it happens and when you find what's most difficult is that there's a huge then misalignment between what the founders or what the company thinks it wants on a website and what the copywriter thinks needs to be on the website. So a copywriter is usually they're very much in tune anyway with what an audience wants or needs and the company has an idea what they want to communicate. But you find it when we get to when you get to the first kind of iterations of the copy for no matter what it is you're writing, the founder say, well this this doesn't feel right or this isn't in the right direction. Or, so they feel that something is off. So it, that's that's one one example when you're when they're working with a copywriter and they feel that something is off so they understand that the copywriter doesn't see what they see but at the same time the copywriter sees something else that they don't see which is their customers 
um, the application of their customers. So they're trying to take the founder's thoughts, which are kind of all scrambled and um, and not, you know, the founder of the company's thoughts, which are all kind of mixed up, and trying to prioritize what needs to be said first, second, and third based on just the conversations they've had with the company. But there's no strategy to that, so they can they can pick and choose anything they want, and the company but the company then doesn't know. Does, they feel it's not right, but they don't know where to put their finger on it. And the same thing then happens when they're working on their marketing assets. So every time they need to write a landing page or they need to write an email, they go, what do we have to write? Like, what do we actually write? And then they start mincing or mixing up between the value propositions. So they might try to chunk all the value propositions into one cold email when it's really hard to do that in a cold email to get anyone to read that. Or you see... Um, or you'll see blog posts or landing pages that are just so long yeah. because they're trying to put everything about the company in one spot instead of narrowing the focus down to maybe one of the value props that they have out of several. Um, and they're not testing the individual value props as well. They're just trying to chunk everything, say everything about the company, every single customer touch point and every single time. So it's just it just comes out as a right mess. They don't, they don't know what they need to be putting in their marketing materials and then customers have no idea what they do as well as a company because so it's when you get this, this mess, they just feel it's, it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle because uh, you feel like you'd have, you don't know what direction you should be going in and then you can't test your messaging properly. You can't, you know, you can't really market effectively because you don't know what you, what you should be saying to whom and to when. Yeah. So is like, you've obviously done this like many times. Um, you've probably seen people who have tried to do it without hiring a professional versus perhaps hiring someone like you. What is the upside of, of getting that right? Like, is there sort of some facts and figures or before and after states that you can sort of say, hey, from my experience, if you don't do this, you're going to be 2x slower or you're going to forfeit a, a 10x improvement in your landing page conversions or something like that? Like, do you have any examples? I don't necessarily have a clear stat that I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, I, I do have one that I can uh, I can quote. But it's again, it's just, it's so hard because it's almost hard. They understand the marketing is not working. It's like, but what, what in the marketing isn't working? What is working? What isn't working? There's just so much confusion that it's even really hard to measure what little success there is but having clarity in the messaging having a messaging strategy and then applying it you can see it's very clear it provides an excellent user experience on the pages you see time on page increase you see um, scroll depth increase on the different pages for example you see you know engagement time goes up quality score of ads go and ads and landing pages and things like that go up so you know it costs you less to send the show more show your ad to more people um, and to get more people through the landing page. And of course, conversions <laughs> also go up. So you do see things like that. Um, I'll give an example. I was working with a company um, a couple of years ago and they were struggling to pin down what is that thing that we need to communicate. And they were throwing off. It's like we do it faster, we do it, it's easier, it's do it. It's like they, they couldn't actually figure out what it was to settle on. And so in the end, we just went with the absolute most simplest headline on their homepage, the simplest expression of um, of what they do. It's just that they make uh, working with freelancers easier. And so that became the headline for the entire landing, for the homepage of the website. You know, there's an easier way to work with freelancers. And having changing that hero section, so the, the man, you know, the CMO that I was working with, it changed the, changed the hero section and having that as a headline in the hero section just emphasizing the ease of use making that again the core the core differentiator and the core value the, making the core value proposition the time time on page doubled the scroll depth doubled 
you know, and it, like it, it was fantastic. It's like you could see it immediately, just having that clarity of messaging, not trying to say everything at the same time in in one little space. Um, it it led to some really some really interesting results. Yeah, it reminds me of um, you know, simplicity, you know, that sort of stoic sort of philosophy of rooting down to that essential thing and not trying to overcomplicate it. Because you know, when a product does multiple things, everyone wants to add every single thing that the product does, and it yeah. becomes a lot harder to then distill it down to like one thing that overarches all those subpoints. And I think you know, sometimes when you hit on that, it's just you don't need to talk about the subpoints because it's kind of assumed almost in that sort of bigger right. umbrella term. So I, I really like that example. But you know, on this point, I think. There's this term that goes around called product market fit, right? Which is how well or how congruent is our offering to the needs of the market? I think sometimes what gets lost, though, is that there is another thing. And correct me if you don't agree with this. There is something called message market fit or even message channel Mm -hmm. fit. So having the right message to the right market. So it's kind of like taking that product offering, translating it into a message that then communicates that product benefit and and value proposition to the market. And then also then messaging that sort of fits each of the channels that we may be using at any one time, which is again, Mm -hmm. a sort of a lower order thing. Would you agree with that? Like, can you have market product market fit, but then your message market fit is the problem that no one wants to admit to that is causing that choke point. I I do agree with that, actually, because different markets will see different value in your product, you know, at the end of the day. Yes, you might have an overall overarching value. If you have a product that does multiple things or a company has multiple products, then they usually try to steer them away to. So you need to have a brand. You need to focus on brand differentiation necessarily than product differentiation. You know, when you get down to the product level, then you can talk more about that. But if you're trying to communicate for the company as a whole, you need to take it the level higher and you need to be talking about um, from a brand perspective, even more in brand differentiation. But when you get back to it, a lot of it is about they're not, again, again, they're not saying the right thing to the right people. So you have people who are looking for something for a platform that makes it easy for them to work with freelancers, but they get on this page, it says something else entirely. It says, take the headaches away. It's like, I'm not not looking to take the headaches away. Like they're looking for the word easy. Like they want to know if it's easy, whereas someone else is looking to save time. They're not necessarily looking for something that might be easier to start with. They're looking for something that communicates to them the value, you know, the value of time. So there are different things that people see, different types of value um, that your customers will see in the product. A lot of the time it's very clear what that value is. And then we can get to that value by using jobs to be done. It's not trying to narrow it down too much, but actually taking it. So what's the common denominator between all these different types of markets and the different value that they're looking for? What's that common denominator between them all? So again, getting to jobs to be done. What is that ultimate transformation that they're looking for? And if you communicate that, then you can start at the top and then you can say, okay, it's, it's easy. It saves you time. It does this and this and this. And so it actually, then you're able to communicate all of those things at the same time, but still get the key message across. Just that message market fit is so crucial often and, and it impacts product market fit because people will think your product isn't for them, but it's just because you're not communicating the right thing that it's often why they come to that conclusion. Yeah, yeah, and I think that raises another good point around, you know, maybe they have some internal staff that are doing, you know, tactical comms, communication or legion or whatever. Uh, they might have an agency that sort of helps them execute some of these things, but I, I've rarely seen them invest in copywriting. It's sort of like it's an inclusion with an agency contract or it's just an expectation on someone who may not be a, a copywriter internally to do this. And I find this this messaging strategy a key piece unless they've hired a strategist or someone like yourself, it's sort of 
gets overlooked. <laughs> so where should we be sourcing messaging strategy from? Like, should it be coming in, in a core strategy sort of workshop package or should we be asking for it from our agencies or like maybe we have this gap, what do we do about it? What would you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. So again, it depends on what kind of partners that they're working with. There are some some companies, if they have large enough marketing teams and product marketing teams, they want to, they'd love, prefer to workshop through it because then it gives them the tools how to how to work on their own messaging, how to keep update, you know, when to constantly update and it gives them the tools and then they don't need to keep hiring someone else to do it for them. Um, and as well, when they have a new product release or a new feature release, then they know exactly how to go back and see if things are in line with our own strategy. So that's really useful for them. If they have large marketing teams, it's great. If they have large marketing teams, but they're short on time or they don't have someone with that expertise um, or it's going to take too long for the workshop, the effects of the workshop or the, or the learnings of the workshop to take a hold and they need to rebrand or reposition quickly, then it's usually a good time to ask the agency that they're working with or to and try and outsource, you know, to an external messaging strategist. I think the the one benefit that I've seen, and again, I'm, I'm biased <laughs> as, an, as an external vendor, um, but the one thing that I've seen, um, you know, in all the years of working with companies is that as an as a completely external, as you know, an external set of eyes, you really uncover some key insights when you're able to see everything totally objectively. You come across some amazing things. I was working with, for example, a company last year. They were pitching themselves as a tech company and they were, so they provided technology for um, credit providers and small private banks mm-hmm. and things like that. But when I interviewed the entire founding team, I interviewed the, you know, the head of marketing, I interviewed everyone there and I interviewed some of the customers and I came back to them and said, you guys, you're not a tech company, you're a service company that provides tech solutions. And it was like, then the penny dropped and they were like, that's why we, be- <laughs> because the, for years they've been positioning themselves based on the value of the tech products that they were providing their customers, but those tech products were changed. So they were third party vendors, their tech products would change over time. And so they were always trying to, to be in quick step to try and keep their messaging updated and keep it relevant. But then it was customers still didn't get the value of what they do. And it's like, well, just being able, coming from that outside perspective, it was like, no, you're not actually a tech company. You have tech solutions that you provide, but you're actually a services company. And that was that was a huge revelation for them because looking from the inside, they could only see themselves as the value based on the value of their tech pro- of the tech product that they were selling on. Yeah, that reminds me of another client I had years ago. Yeah, same sort of thing. I, I think some people just call themselves a tech company to get tech company valuations, if you know what I mean. But underneath, like tech is a, yeah. just a facilitator of their actual product offering. Um, yeah. So like, I think distilling down to like, what are you actually providing? And then does tech facilitate that? Or is it a platform that helps facilitate that? higher order service. I think that's mm-hmm. the main thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, it happens all the time. Um, I really like that, that story, actually. You must see this go wrong. Like that was maybe one example where they sort of just were off in terms of their, their framing mm-hmm. or their approach to their messaging. So are those sort of common failings you must see of companies who get this wrong over and over and over and you just keep coming across these things all the time in in your line of work the first and the biggest mistake that everyone makes is you know is they don't talk enough to customers so they they say they talk to customers and they say they put customers first but they don't talk to the customers enough they really don't you really should be having regular interactions with the customers and that i think that applies to everyone from sea level down to down to of course the actual you know frontliners in a business um 
I think which CEO was it? CEO of DoorDash or something? Something <laughs> goes on deliveries. You know, business from Amazon. He he still reads customer support emails from time to time. Like, and that's impressive. Uh, just reads them because he wants to understand what people are asking questions about. What's going on? What do they want? What are they looking for help with? You know, which is fascinating. Which says a lot about the company. It says shows that the company is really focused on the customer and not just what we want to do as a company. It's trying to tap into, or what do people really need what are they looking for and how can we help them better so that's the first one is just they don't talk enough to customers which leads into problem number two is just that they assume too much and the assuming too much comes from it's assuming they know what their customers want it's assuming that their customers have the time and energy to invest in learning about educating themselves about the product because they don't all they really do unless the customer is significantly motivated to want to learn more about a product you have to to get someone on a demo, on a 30-minute demo today, 30 minutes is a lot of time. It's a lot of time in someone's schedule, a 30-minute call. And, you know, there's time before and after the call where we're all over the place. But 30-minute demo is a lot of time out of someone's very busy day. You know, they have to be significantly motivated to want to click through. So it's not just how great your product sounds. You know, you actually have to encourage them, motivate them to want to participate in the demo in the first place. And the, you know, the pull of the product isn't always a thing that does that. Um, so it's, it comes down again to not speaking enough to customers and then to making too many assumptions. Um, and the third one as well is not doing enough testing. So they're not running enough ad variations. So they might have two or three winning ad variations, but they're not, they're not testing different ads with just a single value proposition. So they're trying to stuff everything again into an ad or into a landing page. And it's working, which is great. The, doesn't mean stop it, but you should actually try and see if you can narrow that down or separate out the value propositions and see if you can get even bigger wins um, by testing the messaging. And by, again, by running by running separate campaigns and actually value comparing the results against each other. That will give you, again, that keeps giving you consistent feedback as to what you need to be saying then in your ads and landing pages and your emails. So you can, if you see as the rate, you know, as the conversion rates go up and down as they fluctuate over time, um, then you know what you can test next and what you should be testing next in order to help bring conversion rates back up. Yeah, great. I really like that last example because um, I've done that with sales teams before. So, you know, you data mine what the objections are or sometimes you listen back to the interviews and they say it sometimes better than you can say it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, sometimes you know, you experiment with a couple of things in a sales conversation and something just clicks and, and it sort of makes sense to them and they use that phrase and you're like, actually, that's a really good phrase. Yeah. And then you use that in the next call and, and just, you know, the customer just instantly understands what you're talking about and can sort of place you in a category and gets what your product does and why it's valuable to them. And I'm like, okay, let's iterate on on that theme. You know what I mean? So just that sometimes that research piece is really key, I find, to then giving you ideas to then iterate on. And I think without that, you're just sort of like stuck in that test phase of of your original assumption, you know, a headline, you're sort of just iterating within that sort of one area with, instead of going way outside that into maybe something you'd never say. Um, so I find people sometimes get box hold as well into yeah. this little circle. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give you another example. I was working with it and that, it, you know, the, it's, so the story you shared reminded me of um, another client I've been working with recently, you know, and they had a strategic narrative was that that was almost, almost all the way there. They were very close. They needed just help you know, polishing it and getting it over the final final line because there were a few little holes still left in it. And one of the things that came up across in the research when I was uh, speaking with the founder and speaking with, um, mm -hmm. you know, the head of revenue 
So first of all, they were having trouble communicating that they weren't just a one and done thing, that they were a consistent, you know, you can get a subscription, you can have consistent assets produced for you regularly, which is a huge benefit for them, but they weren't seeing the value and why they needed that. Customers weren't seeing why they would need more than one, one of what they were offering. So when I was looking at the research and I was looking at what their customers saying, we came across this notion of, well, there's a, there's a trust gap there's trust gaps or there's more than one trust gap. It's not just you have a trust. It's not just you build trust once with the customer and then they're ready to buy from you. It's like it's a consistent process throughout awareness, consideration to conversion where you have to keep presenting yourself as an authoritative, as a reliable, as a trustworthy solution at every single touch point along the way. So there's lots of gaps. It's not just one gap that you need to close it and they're ready to buy from you. So there's lots of little gaps along the process. and so. We said you need to talk about that there's more than one gap. So again, you can say the way you close this gaps is through what we offer you. But again, that's, there's more than one gap. It's not just a one and done thing. And um, I just got an email from the head of revenue a couple of days ago and he said, yeah, we've been implementing it already in our sales calls in that, that idea of trust gaps of more than one. And again, they're seeing really good he didn't give me the exact numbers. He's like, hey, we're getting really good feedback from it. Um, so it's working which is great to hear so it's again a small shift a small shift talking about you know it's not not a huge shift it's not like we came up with this new term that didn't exist before we did came up with something again we talk about trust gaps it's something as you mentioned people immediately understand what you're talking about it's a very clear term it's a very something very easy to remember it's very easy to explain um and well it kind of explains itself but positioning the company as a solution to solving all of these little gaps rather than just solving one gap, um, was is very is, is working in their favor. I love that. Hey, so you just mentioned um, on that point some of your process, which perhaps starts with research, right, <laughs> and getting rid of some of those assumptions. But if you could just run us through, pretend that I'm, I'm a business and I, I think I have this problem and I'm reaching out to you as a messaging strategy professional going, can you help us? Um, and I want to ask you, okay, what's your sort of process without you revealing your secret sauce, but like what is a general process that doesn't change no matter how small or large the business is mm-hmm. and perhaps um, where you start, where you finish, and then maybe if you have a higher budget or a bigger company, some additional things you would do at some of those steps or extra steps mm-hmm. at the end. Um, can you just run us through what that would look like if we engaged you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the again the core. So usually when I'm working with clients, it's usually it depends on what we're what we're looking to work on. I usually rarely work on just messaging strategy. It's usually messaging strategy, and then at least we have some assets where like a homepage and about us page or even website copy or something where though where that messaging has been expressed so you do get um but the, so the so the core process happens across three things so we have uh, you know initial research and discovery then we have writing uh, you know writing and implementation and then we have uh, validation so the first process again the research and discovery that doesn't change that has to be constant for everyone you know whether i'm working with a but, you know, just about to launch startup through to an enterprise company. Although enterprise companies usually have something already. <laughs> already, So uh, so usually that, that research and discovery process, it's intense interviews with key, you know, with key stakeholders. It's um, trying to understand the market. It's understanding the market. So looking at the competitive marketplace, looking at how other companies are positioning themselves to understand how we should as well be positioning ourselves with respect to the product or the company's actual features and solutions 
um, as well as trying to get as close to the customers as possible. So for a startup that's just about to launch, we don't really have anyone that we can talk to, but you can go looking for the voice of the customer or for references from customers almost anywhere online. So you can go to Reddit, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can look and see, hear from people and what their problems are uh, without actually speaking to them. But when a company has customers, I love to speak to their customers because you just uncover so many amazing insights from uh, from speaking with them. And as well, being an exter- again, being an external party to the company, it means the customers feel very comfortable sharing with you things that they might not be sharing with someone that they have a working relationship with. So they, they feel very comfortable sharing Yeah, that's a very good point. Honest open feedback, yeah. Um, and then it's taking taking all of that, having an understanding, doing a comparison as well just from, from a brand perspective, what other people are putting on their websites, what they're saying on their websites, uh, what images even they're using in the hero sections and then coming away with an understanding, okay, so we have, we know what we need to say. We have um, so if we are if we are doing if they need the vision mission strategic narrative that's when that happens as well and it usually happens in workshops um, done with the, with the founder or key stakeholders and that comes out of that at the same time we have in that the key value proposition key mm-hmm. positioning comes out of that we have the and the key value proposition so I like to split value propositions along emotional and practical I think there's both the emotional then can be expressed as brand values, but these are the emotional reasons why people buy from you. At the same time, you have the practical or you can say economic or logical reasons why people might buy. It's faster, it's smarter, it's better, you know, whatever. The emotional reasons, again, it's aligning with the jobs to be done, what they're actually looking for, their ultimate transformation. So once we have that vision, mission, strategic narrative, we know what we need to say in terms of value propositions, both emotional and practical. It's very easy to take that and start running with it, start applying it to to different customer-facing channels. When you have, again, that messaging strategy, it does, again, trickle down to everything that you do. It helps keep you in the right, it makes sure that you're hitting all those right notes no matter what uh, marketing assets then you're creating. And then, of course, in that final step, it's uh, it's getting that validation. So before, like, and even before before we even get to writing any marketing assets, I usually tell, I tell the sales, you know, I tell the client, start using this core messaging give it to your salespeople. tell them to start using it you know give it to give it to people and your other people in marketing tell them to start using it now so that we can start getting feedback on it already and usually that they and usually they use it they implement it very quickly and so that helps validate it for when we're as we're writing and creating those marketing assets so it's kind of it's supposed to be it's kind of a linear linear process but at the same time we are doing a lot of validating um, at the same time as we're doing the writing for the marketing asset. On that line, I know you mentioned before some success cases of before and afters, but if you were creating that business case um, and selling that to somebody, like, for example, let's just say I'm, a, I'm a, a CMO or a senior marketer inside the firm, and I know that we have this problem with messaging strategy. I realize that maybe I'm not 100% qualified in that area. Like, yeah, I can write, but I don't really have enough experience in doing that and I, I want to make the case for hiring someone such as you or or an agency or whatever that can help us with that I mean how would you pitch that business case so we can get that political buy-in I think the first point to clarify is not not necessarily everyone thinks it's a messaging problem if someone is really clued in and they know that it's a messaging problem they'll go out looking for a messaging strategist I think one of the things is that it's they, they will think they need help with copywriting, but what they often really need is help with a messaging strategy. So they're struggling with 
writing or creating marketing assets, but that's not because they don't have competent writers on their team or it's not because they couldn't do it themselves, it's because they haven't actually done, they haven't figured out what they need to say first and so they can't write because they haven't figured out what they need to say. So I think sometimes I come in when I'm speaking with a lot of clients, I say, look, it's when you're, if you're struggling with what you even need to say, then we need to look at doing messaging strategy. And they go, oh, yeah, well, I can't, I can't, I could write this, but I can't because I don't know what I need to say. And so it's a bit different way of making, making the business case. But for absolutely, the, in terms of messaging strategy, you immediately see better results from sales because they start implementing the messaging that you know they're the front line they're closest to the customer they start implementing the messaging right away so you start to see you know more closed one deals mm-hmm. very quickly or more demos more more sales activities which is the first thing that you start to see at the same time with the messaging then you um, with applying the messaging and then the, through copywriting you see better conversion rates usually across the board so you see more book demos you see more you know more traffic more time on page you see better improvement for the ads you know the customer acquisition score has gone down because it costs less to get your ads in front of the right people um and all those kinds of things you see better engagement on social media posts you know more followers on social media it's it's really far reaching the impacts of having that right messaging it's um it's so so very powerful one of the tricky things just about messaging strategy, unless the CMO is totally clued in on the messaging strategy or the CMO has experience with messaging and strategy themselves, they don't always know that it's a messaging problem. So there's an element of education that often happens in the process. They'll come and they'll say, well, we, we're struggling with writing our marketing assets, like we need help writing marketing assets. Then you hop on a call with them and you understand, you say, well, why are you having this problem? So, well, we don't know what to say. So, well, if you don't know what to say, that means you have actually a messaging problem. So sometimes that, and sometimes then the light switch on is out. Oh, yeah, that's it. We've been struggling with our positioning. Well, a copywriter can help fix that, but you need to have a messaging strategy first in order to make sure that the cop, you know what to say in the copy again. Um, so then it's that process. So it's not always straightforward. Not many people go, I need to hire a messaging strategist. They go, I'm, a, I'm having problems with copy or I don't know what to write or I don't know how to write this or we, no one on the team knows what they're doing or we're writing stuff and it's not working. And so they think they need a copywriter, whereas sometimes they do need it. So it's a little bit of a, sometimes it's a sideways kind of uh, pitch in order to making, um, in order to get to that. But at the end of the day, in terms of the general business case, you know, the things that they see beforehand, they'll see it's poor engagement with marketing assets, low book demos, low sales activity, uh, low conversion rate. Again, Low conversion rates and sales activity is not always the direct thing because you can have low conversion rates and high sales activity. So the few that are coming in are closing and that's fine. But if you've got high conversion rates and then no zero sales activity, so there's a problems happening. So marketing is over promising and sales is not following or there's a gap between what marketing says and what sales actually says. Again, that comes down to messaging strategy. What do you need to say? Not just copywriting. So you'll see Again, low sales activity, you'll see low engagement, but generally difficult or low performance from marketing assets um, across the board. And in terms of the results that you can see, it just it goes across everything. It goes from higher on-page conversion rates, higher engagement rates, higher traffic, kind of those top metrics, but you'll also see more closed demos, more closed one opportunities, and I guess more closed one deals as well at the same time. And often you'll see that the the speed to close the time to close and time from when someone became a lead to closing is also much shorter usually so it's instead of being like six months it maybe takes one to three months which is huge 
if you can land a you know if you can land a large client yeah. in one to three months versus six months then it's it's a huge it's a huge difference yeah I love that and um, so one other thing I find in this area marketing at large but also messaging strategy is that there tends to be a lot of misconceptions around this you did mention before this trying to fit all the sort of key points or product features on a page and then because it's so long that sort of that higher order, value proposition kind of gets lost in in the weeds and people just don't know what it does. So sometimes saying less can be more effective than saying more. <laughs> and also sometimes when you do your research piece, these two things can look identical, but one's backed by customer research will be very effective. And the other one also sounds good, but isn't effective because there's no base from where it comes to. So that congruence between what the market wants isn't there. So are there sort of, sort of some mm-hmm. common misconceptions that we can kind of dispel about what you do right now uh, if you had a top three what would they be the top one as you mentioned as you as you just touched on it just there is that often there's that conception or is that expectation that sometimes copy is it's this wonderful creative thing it's like this one it's like apple copy it's like oh it's two words and it's like oh it's beautiful and every everyone's gonna buy it because of these two words I think a lot of really effective copy it's ugly because it's it's not ugly because it's like it's it's not necessarily ugly you can find a nice way of expressing it but it's from the it's take it's words taken from the customer's own mouth as much as possible and that's not as polished all the time as what as what my company might want to say but you know what it's what works so there's often this thing that marketing, and again, this is why a lot of marketers struggle with their copywriting because they try to polish it. We want it to sound sleek. We want it to sound sophisticated and cool. It's like, but in doing that, you lose the interest of the people because it sounds like marketing. People resonate with things that don't sound like marketing to them. Which, And if you tap into the customer's own words as much as possible, that's great. Brand awareness campaign, fine. Be as sophisticated as clever use alliteration is that yep that there's a time and place for that for the fancy stuff and I agree there's a very valuable place for that in marketing but if you're looking to improve that sales impact if you're looking to increase conversion rates it's usually the ugly copy <laughs> that performs better okay, okay. What, what's another misconception then I think that's usually the top uh, one is there another one like is it sort of like length of copy or conciseness or yeah. would it be I saw one of your posts a little while ago it was really funny you said don't be afraid of being direct and selling so that Jay Abram says sometimes the best way to sell a horse is to write horse for sale <laughs> so is there another misconception or, or two yeah there's sometimes again if there's a gap between marketing and sales within the organization so marketing will feel well, it's not our job to sell and sales sales will be well it's not our job to market like the cu- customer should come through with some knowledge of what we do before they really find themselves in a demo otherwise we won't be able to sell to them but often marketing that feels detached very much sometimes from that outcome but sometimes you just need if that message is clear if there is a real need in the market you sometimes just need to come out with that one single clearest expression of what you do as, as in the other case of the the freelance platform it was there's an easier way to work with freelancers it was like like so everything else you know forget about it there is there is an easier way and it was like we weren't necessarily ba- we weren't bashing competitors. We weren't doing any. It was just what you know. Like we know that you're dealing with other solutions, hack, hack together solutions. There is a better way, and so it was just shining that light on that there is the potential for a different solution. As so I think, just that simplicity sometimes of that message, that one thing that you do really well, and f- shining that light on it, it makes a huge difference. 
And the third thing, as you did also touch on before, it's the length of copy. Length is not relevant, how concise the copy is. Mm -hmm. So length is relevant when you're looking at, again, if you're looking at brand awareness versus the sales page versus there's all kinds of things where length does come into play. But the more expensive the product, the more uneducated the customer, the longer the buying cycle usually is, the more sophisticated the audience in terms of their general knowledge, the more copy you need to explain the value of your product. You have to tell them more. You can't expect people to drop. That's why when you click on a Facebook ad and you get this this like endless scroll page for this coaching course that it's like, I don't know, $3,000 or $10,000 or whatever, and you go, wow, but there's like the page is this long and it makes you see that the, the the offer looks really attractive because the page is so long. But if the page was this long and it was still a $10,000 offer, you would be like, there's something going on here. Like just that, that length and that amount of explanation and effort they go into explaining helps prove the value, you know, prove the weight of the value of the offer, helps it prove mm. its dollar value. But if you're going for brand awareness, if you're going for that, yes, you can experiment with short copy. But if you, again, if you're looking to drive conversions, you need to consider what do people want to know or need to know again. So length, sometimes people get so focused on it needs to be short. It's like it needs to be concise. You need to say short copy can also be long. It can take a long time to read if people don't understand what it's saying. If it's too vague, it's too waffly. Long copy can also take a long time to read if it's also vague and waffly both of them could be vague and waffly so what you're looking at again is just don't focus on the length it's about how concise you know are you saying complete thought are you sharing that complete thought in the most concise yeah you know you know i had this exact experience literally last night um i had to judge some award submissions for a a tech awards um so i had eight submissions right and there's there's four sections there's like dot dot point criteria under each of these four sections they had to score them out of so many points and then aggregate points sort of would win and it was amazing the winner actually wrote one of the longest submissions but it was so clear and so concise that i could just tick Mm -hmm. off all the criteria and i was like i could read it easily even though it was long i could read it quickly there's another one that was too short and didn't say enough so it didn't address the criteria and it was sort of generalist. So that was really short. And I was like, well, that doesn't meet those criteria. So I couldn't get that. And there was another one that was quite short, but very concise, but met all the criteria. It's like they just condensed it all down. I'm like, that was easy to read. So mm-hmm. they came second. <laughs> and then the other ones ranged in length. And it was just buzzwords and fluffy kind of stuff. And it didn't really, I had to keep rereading it going, what are they trying to say here? Like, it doesn't actually mean anything. And like, as a judge, I'm like, well, I I can't score them because like highly, because number one, I don't understand what they're saying. Number two, it doesn't meet any of the criteria anyway. So like, they've just written all this stuff for naught. And I just felt like, wow, that's so symptomatic of maybe what customers are going through. Like there is, there's so much value in being able to communicate clearly what you and your offering does regardless of length. If you can say it in three words, sure. If, you can, if it takes a paragraph, you know, even better. You know, that's the variable. And I think sometimes these people hire copywriters based on a per word length and they think that, you know, the more words, the better and or the less words, the cheaper it will be. And I'm like, this doesn't, it's kind of like using the wrong metric almost. Absolutely. I think if people are using that cents per word mindset or dollar per word mindset, I mean, outsource it to ChatGPT, seriously. Like if you're looking for volume, go to ChatGPT. <laughs> I don't have another economical. I've, I yeah. I initially started out over eight years ago. I initially started out writing for a content mill, so I know what it feels like to be ChatGPT. 
<laughs> but um, but there is no incentive for a writer to write well yeah. when you could have sent per word. And so this is why, again, ChatGPT is taking over these, these poor jobs because they're looking for volume. They're looking for the volume of output versus writing better, faster. So ChatGPT can help you do both. You want to use it to help you write better, faster, and not just volume. Volume has always been a problem. People begin to judge the effects of marketing based on lead volume when lead volume means nothing really, or content, you know, the effectiveness of the content agency by output, by volume, and not necessarily, well, how did these actually convert? How did this actually bring us closer to our goals? So if they're looking for volume, find ChatGPT is the best thing. Quick, it's almost free. Go for it. But if you're looking for stuff that has that strategy built into it that's going to help move the needle, then you need to look to work with a uh, work with professional. Okay, so on that note, I know you've alluded to this a bit on social media because I was reading it, but I found that the biggest misgiving is that it can't do research for you. You can't figure out what your customers are saying mm. for you by default. And a lot then depends on how you use these tools and what sort of prompts you put in as well. So I find it's a tactical tool. It can be pretty powerful. At times it can sort of bleed in, into that strategic sort of higher order piece, but it really takes quite a skilled operator, I find, to be able to get the most out of it. And even then, there's massive holes, I find, that um, can point you in completely the wrong direction. What, what's your sort of take on this now and then perhaps where it's heading in the future? The I think the biggest thing for all, all AI tools across the board, if you don't have experience in the field, it looks like magic. And I get that. I'm mid-journey, I don't get design. I have a designer friend and she's like, it's good, but uh. so she, she's a professional designer, so I get it. But And for me, ChatGPT, it's like, it's good, but because uh, I understand what writing. The problem, I think, with ChatGPT that a lot of people mid-journey is that it looks very convincing. It produces the results in a way that makes it feel that this is confident, like this is it. But it doesn't take into account all the different variables that a flesh and blood copywriter or a flesh and blood designer is actually going to take into account when creating it. Yes, for the lowest price bidders on Upwork and Fiverr, yeah, it's probably replacing them. Because all they're doing again is kind of chopping and changing what they, you know, what they find anyway for free online. So it, it is replacing that. It's good to help you get out of a rut. It's good if you're looking to seed an idea. What I often find is that I'll write a few headlines, I'll put it in to ChatGPT, and I'll say, "Give me another variation of these." And I won't like any of the variations, but the fact that I didn't like them means, oh, now I know what I want to write. So it's actually it did the bad writing for me. There's this kind of thing in. Um, yep. It does the bad designing for you. So, you know, that's not the direction I want to go in. This is the one I do want to go in. And I think that's that's one of the most powerful things because the most difficult thing for any writer has always been the battle of the blank page. It's that getting started. It's that first draft. You have to pour your soul into the page before you actually get to wrangle out that first draft is so hard. But even if you can put in prompt or put in something into ChatGPT and you don't use anything of what it spits out, You've got something on the page and you immediately go, well, that's not right. So I delete that. Well, that section could make sense. Let's move it up here. Let's do it. So you start playing it with it like a jigsaw puzzle. It's like a jigsaw. You just, they gave you all the pieces. So you start doing that and you go, well, that doesn't make sense. So that's not the right value prop, but cross that out and I'll insert something else. And then you start building. You can build much, much, much faster that way. Like it's great for those things. You have a, you have a set of, you have a set of ideas let it spin up some variations for you. That's the kind of mind-numbing work that it should be automating. What it shouldn't be automating is the 
is the seeding of the idea for you. And a lot of people are saying, well, it looks like magic. It seems to be thinking, I'm going to use it to think for me. And that's, I think, the problem where we're falling in it. Again, <laughs> we all have a bias against work. We all want things to be easy. We always want to have more leisure time. We always want to, have, you know, expend less energy. We all have that. It's fine. It's part of it's part of human nature. Um, but there's there's a lot to be said for doing that heart that creative work. So ChatGPT, it doesn't do brand voice well. It doesn't do brand positioning well. It doesn't do that strategy element well. And it doesn't. It can't do research in real time. Even if you have ChatGPT for fine, but you still. You have to fact check everything because it still hallucinates. And for me personally, to get something that's terrible and then for me to have to go and backtrack and fact check or validate everything, that takes me more time than writing from scratch. For someone who doesn't know how to write and it gives them that starting point, then fine, and that's worth it for them to direct it. But for someone who has experience in writing, that's all I do every day, it actually takes me more. It would take me more time to try and use an output from ChatGPT and make it suitable than it would be to actually write it from scratch. You have to validate it somehow. Even if it says it taps into the internet, again, it hallucinates. It still comes up with things that aren't relevant. I'd rather just shortcut that time, go to the customer first, take that and put that on the page. Early stage startup with, with no customers yet gives you an MVP about us description. Fine. It's great. It's very helpful for situations with you have almost no budget and where, where you just need good enough. But when you need more than good enough, when you need more than an MVP version of something, then you do need to, to work with, with a human. That's a great answer. So in summary, ChatGPT is on mushrooms. It hallucinates way too much. I'm with you on the sort of like ideation phase showing you what you don't want, you know, maybe giving a synopsis that you can then sort of run with. And then it gives you that starting point and that leg up sometimes that, that you need if you've got a writer's block, or whatever. But yeah, really good. That, that was really fascinating. Is there a book you're reading right now or have read recently? It can be on this topic or related that has really changed your thinking for the better. I've been reading lately The Hero and the Outlaw. So it's it's all about diving deep um, into, into brand archetypes. So I didn't used to use them a lot before, but I've been finding that in terms of helping a brand define its positioning and tone of voice, usually what we end up with is sometimes they a company will hire a, a visual identity or a visual branding team or visual marketing team, and then they'll also hire a writing team. And then what they do is not aligned. So there's you'll have really cool graphics and the copy will be very static or you'll have really funky copy but the graphics will be really boring so you have so there's often this huge disconnect um between the two and i find just bringing in um bringing in the notion of brand archetypes is is something that helps give it doesn't wholly define a brand but it gives guardrails as to the direction that the brand that the, the company from a brand perspective is going in so that makes sure that the tone of voice is aligned with the visual identity, which is, I think is really, really crucial because people know you go, you know, when you get to a site and everything is off, you can, you can feel it, you feel when there's no, no consistency. And again, I think a lot of what happens in terms of driving conversions, it's not just the copy. And of course it's not never just the design, but, um, but it's the combination at the total sum of information that's presented concisely on the page. So it's how the images and the copy fit together. It's that total sum of information, that total sum of, you know, what's on the page is what helps drive conversions. And coming from an anthropological background, you know, there are types of characters and things in life, in the stories we hear growing up, that these types of archetypes that appear that are cross-cultural, 
So you'll have hero, there's heroes in every, there's concepts of heroes in every culture, there's concepts of jesters in every culture, there's a concept of rebellion, you know, rebellion in every culture. That these are these are cross-cultural, um, these are cross-cultural things that speak to everyone and everyone can relate to because we all understand them, even if you don't, but if you don't use it in words, you know, even without words. So by tapping into that, you're able to help evoke as well some types of emotions, a type of connection with the brand to show your customers what you stand for as well as a brand perspective. So it's it's a subtle way of communicating your why without saying this is our why, <laughs> you know, and then explaining it in words. So it, again, it gives that direction. It helps with brand differentiation. And then it adds an extra flavor to that tone of voice and it ensures that alignment between the two. So I've just been delving into that a lot lately and I just find it fascinating. I mean, what you said there around brand, I think that's what gets missed is whenever I do it or oversee a brand strategy, I always make sure there's like the visual identity and verbal identity and then all the other sort of associations in the middle. And I think what gets missed is if you go to a brand design firm, they just do visual identity. That's where most people go. It's all just logos and colors and fonts. And maybe they'll just do some headlines or something, but it's very not talked about. So I find that sort of higher order messaging piece is definitely excluded from there. And it's so critical because, you know, at the end of the day, a brand is kind of almost like a person and that person should look and sound somewhat similar like as you said there shouldn't be this dichotomy between the two otherwise you're like what is this person a schizophrenic like i'm not going to trust them so yeah it makes exactly. complete sense to me you did mention ChatGPT, which is a website but is there another website that is sort of your secret source go-to website that helps you do your job better um the only other one i think would be reddit i think i find reddit an invaluable because of the layer of anonymity that reddit gives its users people feel very comfortable of course you with you can't know exactly when someone's bluffing but i think again it's it's the same idea like with self-serve checkouts right so you have self-serve checkouts and people at supermarkets were afraid to install them and say oh people are just gonna you know steal stuff and walk out no a very very tiny percentage of people were still what you know are still conducting thefts but the self-serve checkouts actually you know it didn't have an impact actually more people just you know went through and paid for themselves and walked out as as you would expect them to so it's the same kind of thing with Reddit. So even if a very tiny percentage of people are bluffing or are making stuff up, because of the anonymity that's there and because of the, the that environment that it gives people to express themselves freely and to communicate with people without getting into who you are or what you look like or where you came from or, you know, I know where you live, uh, it's it lets people open up about a lot of different issues and a lot of different things and you, you feel like a real fly on the wall when you're looking at investigating things. I am working with a cybersecurity company actually at the moment and I found a whole thread on like what are the buzzwords that you hate the most as a cybersec. Everyone was ranting. It was so furious. It's like, tell me just what it does. Like the you could feel the rage from people and they were like, we don't like this, we don't like this, and so this is so overrated. People were replying to each other. You can see that's not made up. You can see it's coming from a general place that people generally feel rage against these certain buzzwords that we use in cybersecurity marketing. So it's like, okay, well, you know exactly you should not be using those words. Take their advice. Having that knowledge has actually seeded the idea for an entire marketing campaign for this company that hopefully will be coming out this year, that understanding that people hate these buzzwords so much. And it's huge. So you can find out such valuable information about what your audience really cares about even without talking to them. Hey, speaking of that, is there a favorite quote or even meme about messaging strategy or copywriting that just makes you laugh every time because it's so true? There's one that I do remember that there's, there's like a dad, he's trying to show off this trophy and he's like, here's the trophy and there's no trophy on the stand. It's like, this is the trophy that I got 
or that trophy I would have got if I'd done the thing, you know, if I'd participated in the competition. So it's like, this is the website that we wrote using the messaging strategy. Like there's no website. It's like, if we actually had a messaging strategy, it's like, this is what we wrote. We couldn't write anything without the messaging strategy. I think it's just, it's so hard. And again, having been a junior writer in the past and being tasked with writing a website without having a messaging strategy in place, I just know how difficult it is. You're just clutching at straws because everyone has a different opinion on what should be said and where, there's no clear direction. Errol wants the same ideas to be on the page and then the page just turns into this mutated kind of monster and no one understands who you are or what you do because it's just all over the place. When you have a clear messaging strategy, you know what to say in the hero, you know what to say here and there. Yeah, no, it's funny. I just did this, um, this tweet the other uh, the week um, around, oh, like, don't be worried about AGI because we know clients can't brief anyway, you know, we're safe, <laughs> you know, and I think, I think it's true. Like if you don't have that strategy piece, you can't brief somebody to then write something about you because yeah. you're just going, Hey, do your job. And then they're asking questions like, well, what does your product do? And you can't answer it. Or who are your customers? Oh, what are they like? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. So like just that skill of being able mm-hmm. to brief, I think for me, if you can't do that, it means you don't really have a strategy done and you need to do that right now yeah. because then that will make the briefing process so much easier. And then all your vendor relationships, mm-hmm. there's so much shorter so much more efficient less back and forth communication like just save so much stress and everyone's like way happier at the end of it Uh, one of those things over to you what are you promoting today what do you do someone's interested in what we're talking about today yeah absolutely so again messaging strategy and conversion copywriting for SaaS tech IT and IoT companies. So if, it, if you have you have tech, you have software, or you're a tech enabled product, that's that's what I work with best. And you know, understanding the human impact of the technology and then how to communicate with the, you know that with your customers. Uh, so that's everything from messaging strategy through to actual application, so website copy, emails, ads, landing pages, all of that good stuff. What's the best way to contact you? Just connect on LinkedIn, give you a PM or DM or email or go to your website. Which which one do you prefer? Sorry, LinkedIn is probably the best is the best way to get it. My website's currently under construction, so that would be the best. Um, just say that, you know, you listen to this episode and you'll get extra extra special treatment, right? Yeah, exactly. We can have a coffee together on <laughs> Well, I just want to thank you again, uh, Eden, for taking some time out for your very busy Monday mornings. Thanks again so much for being on the show and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Thank you so much for having me.